two places this morning. Psalm chapter number 29. Psalm chapter number 29 and Matthew chapter number 7. Psalms chapter number 29. Matthew chapter number 7. Psalm 29. Matthew 7. Appreciate your participation in the service this morning. I trust that uh, your heart was blessed as we focused on the Word of God. I trust that He did His work and His Word drew your heart uh, through the not only the, the reading of it, but also through the singing of the truths of it. Appreciate the work that went into that this morning. Just an FYI tonight in this service, one of the things that we're going to do is allow anybody who'd like to, to give testimony of uh, what the Lord has you, how the Lord has used this church in your life. We're not looking for a glorification of this church, but how the Lord has used the church. It is his, He get all, gets all the glory, but He does use His church to bless people and to help them. And so uh, if you have a testimony to that fact, uh, you'll be able, get a chance to share that tonight. I wanted to give you a little time to think about that uh, before you just showed up on the spot. Preaching is an interesting thing. Preaching in and of itself is no big deal. It can be done by almost anybody. There are messages galore. You get on the internet, you can buy whole books of it, you can buy outlines, you can buy anything you want. Uh, and, find, and getting a message to preach is not that big of a deal if you don't mind what you're saying. If it doesn't really matter, if it just has to be actually truth from the Bible, uh, you've got a whole book full, and there's all kinds of helps in that direction. But getting what the Lord would have you to say, the exact message for the service, is an entirely different thing. And I just have to tell you, it's not always a straight line. It, until you've actually experienced it, done it, and seen how the Lord works, it's not always a straight line. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, when I, I'm going to tell you how this message came about, but I was how, a third or a half of the way into writing it when I realized that my entire introduction was going to be incorrect because what I was doing just couldn't be done. It was bigger than that. In fact, instead of being one message, I think it will be three uh, but I'm not for sure. And I was, only, I was a third of the way in. I'd already written all the introduction, thinking there were three points to this. And there's actually only, it's going to be three separate messages. It just expanded what I thought would be a very simple thing. I was into page 12, and 16 is really my limit. Um, I was into page 12, and I was still on the first point, and it was supposed to be the small point. And I didn't think anybody wanted to want to stay here till 12, 30, or quarter to one, myself included. And so... Uh, I have to assume that the Lord is taking us in a different direction than what I had initially interpreted, in, assumed, and uh, it's not wise to say next week, this is what I'm going to do, because it's not that kind of job. 
this is what I assume the Lord is going to have us do next week is to continue on this, but it is up to him. If the Lord wills, that's what we will be doing uh, and finish this thing off in either next week or the week after. I just don't know, but that's where we're at. Anyway, during last year's missions conference, we introduced a new phase of our missions program called Into the Arena. It's really a commitment to the Lord to spend time in prayer specifically for missions. I do not know how many of you decided to participate in that last year, or if anyone is actually still keeping up with what they committed to do. We do plan on continuing that uh, program this year, and if you participated in that program, in the, the prayer program that we kind of laid out last fall, if you've been participating in that and you have some hints or things that you've learned in that, I'd like to hear about them because all things being equal, uh, within the next two weeks I'll be teaching on this in, in the Mission Sunday School class. Appreciate what Tim said this morning, uh, but one of these w following weeks will be mine and I think I'll be st speaking on that particular topic. But anyway, um, this co-laboring uh, with our missionaries has been a great blessing. This praying for our missionaries has been a great blessing in my life. And this week, while I was praying for the missionaries, a phrase came into my mind. Now, I always, when I'm praying, I almost always have a notebook next to me because, you know, thoughts come into your mind, but you're trying to pray and you need to think through these thoughts. And so my mind doesn't keep everything like it should. And so a lot, of, I have a thing there, and I jot these th phrases down, or these things that I need to think about down, so that I can keep praying, so I don't get so totally distracted. So when this phrase came into my mind, I rolled it over a few times in my mind, and then wrote it down. This week, that phrase kept rolling over and over, coming back into my mind. Now last night, when I was studying, trying to discern the Lord's will for this morning, I was looking for something totally different, and I came to this passage, Psalms 29. Interestingly enough, it was storming when I read this. It was hailing on the top of the house. There was a, quite a storm taking place last night at our place. And a main section of this passage is actually dealing with the Lord. It's kind of a play on words of the Lord in, in a storm. So anyway, all this starts to come together. And it was the perfect passage for this thought that I had early in the week. So I'll give you that phrase when I get that far. But let's read this and see what the Holy Spirit will do for us through this passage. We'll be in another passage as well. Psalms 29. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian, like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. 
The voice of the Lord maketh hinds to calf, and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now the phrase that came to my mind while I was praying was a simple phrase, the path to glory. The path to glory. It is a strange phrase to come to one's mind when they are reading through, looking through the missions conference book that different missionaries are across the world and praying for them. It's a strange phrase to come to mind. When I rolled it over in my mind a couple of times, it fell into three pieces. And so I wrote those three pieces down on my piece of paper. The path to glory, meaning heaven. When I was a kid, people don't usually use this phrase anymore, but when I was a kid, people talked about going on to glory, going on, meaning heaven, and it was their way to heaven. And, you know, that was heaven. Glory was a term used for heaven. You don't hear it much said that way anymore, but when I was a kid, it was very common to have that phrase said. So the path of glory, the path to glory, meaning heaven. Number two, the path to glory, meaning our own glory. The path to glory, meaning his glory. So we have those three pieces that this phrase fell into in, in my mind. The path to glory, meaning heaven. The path to glory, meaning our glory. The path to glory, meaning his glory. So we'll just take that basic phrase as our title. Now, we're only going to deal with the first one this morning. I had intended to deal with all three. That's what I thought three. That's not to take this message generically. Okay? The truth is a pastor has to preach generically. It is not right for a pastor to, in my personal opinion, it's not right for me to stand up here after having looked across the crowd and figured out what all your flaws are, all your problems are, and then let you have it. Use this pulpit as they call it a public whipping post. I'm fully aware that much of this type of preaching happens uh, on several occasions when I was in college. It was used on me. I was on the, the, the lash end of that, and they did all but name my name as they were lashing and waxing eloquent, as they said. I didn't think it was right then, and I don't think it would be right for me to do now. It's not, uh, I try, and, here's the deal, okay, let's just be real clear on this. I try not to force my way into anybody's problems, in anybody's situations. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have a need, if you have a problem, I am more than happy to wade in with you on that problem. If you knew what I have had to deal with and the problems and the messes, working with people is always messy. Working with people is always dirty. And I have been way up to my elbows in some very dirty things. And so if you think, well, I'm afraid to say it, there's nothing that you could talk to me about. There's nothing that you, problem you have that would not be as filthy as something else I've already been involved in trying to help people with. I am more than happy to dive in wherever I can help. All you have to do is ask. But it's not my position to try to find out what everybody has and all the problems that they have and then try to land blast you or try to correct it publicly. 
That's just not the way this is supposed to go. My job, in my opinion, is to preach truth as clearly and as pointedly as it can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit to preach truth. But never should it be in my mind, I sure hope so-and-so's listening to this. I sure hope they're getting this. Do you understand? That's not my job. My job is to preach truth and to preach it as pointedly as possible. But it's generic. And I let the Holy Spirit teach But your job as a listener is entirely opposite of that. Your job as a listener is to not listen generically, but to listen specifically. Your job is to not think, I hope so-and-so is hearing this, and think about everybody in this room. Your job is to think specifically about yourself. What is the Spirit of God teaching me? Asking the Holy Spirit to use the truth in your life somehow. The truth is that preaching, if it is preaching truth, every message should have its effect on you. Every message. It either ought to confirm the truth that you're already living or convict you of your error. So as I speak, trusting that the Spirit of God will communicate truth, I'm trying to speak truth. I do not think about anybody as I'm doing this. But will you ask the Holy Spirit to deal in your own heart the work that has to be done, that needs to be done in you specifically? Will you ask him to specifically do that for you? Let's pray, and then we shall move forward very quickly. Father, we bless your name. It is a privilege to be here amongst these people that you have gathered Now, Father, you didn't gather them here to hear me, for you do not do such foolish things. But you did gather them that they might hear your word. And so, Father, we all are expecting you to teach it, for that's the point. And we ask that your spirit would not be silent, but would speak truth in the heart of each person here. You know what that means in each individual heart and life. And Father, we're asking for nothing less than that. Nothing short of it. We ask that you would do your work. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're down to one point. It has five subpoints. They should be fairly easy to follow. The path to glory, meaning heaven. The path to glory, meaning heaven. Look at Matthew chapter number 7. Five things I want you to learn about the path to glory this morning. Verse number 13, Matthew 7, 13, fairly famous verses. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The path to glory, meaning heaven. Let's discuss, find out a few things about this. Letter A. It is 
a narrow path. The path to glory, the path to heaven, is a narrow path. The path, the broad way, the narrow, the broad or the wide way in this passage is very well populated. It is very well traveled. In fact, it is a very crowded way. The overwhelming percentage of people on the planet, there are 7 billion people on the planet at this moment, and the overwhelming majority of those people are on this path. Of the 100 billion people that are estimated to have walked this planet, most, the, the large majority, the super majority of them would have been walking on this wide path. With so many people walking this wide path, it is not difficult to find people who are of the same mind and opinion as you. So you have similar people to walk with. On the wide road, there are no rules, there are no limits, and there are no standards. Each person does whatever is right in their own mind. The path is straight and all downhill. It doesn't necessarily follow that the path is easy. For with what is always true about men is, whenever a man is doing what he wants, oftentimes his misdeeds make it very difficult on the people who are traveling with him. All of us affect each other, and when a man is living his own world without any restrictions, without any rules, without any standards, he finds himself affecting those around him. And as they say, it is a dog-eat-dog world. So the wide path is not necessarily an easy path, but it is wide, and men love company, and they love to walk in their own ideas without restriction. It is a very popular path. It is a wide path. Very few seem to notice that the pathway is all downhill and it always leads to one place. And that place, according to this passage of scripture, is destruction. You know, we like to keep this thing from our mind. We don't want to contemplate the end of the path of life. It's like a man who has all the symptoms of some fatal disease. What does he do? He ignores the symptoms and refuses to go to the doctor. Because then he can just pretend that it doesn't exist. It does, and it's killing him. But he doesn't have to deal with it. He can just ignore it. This is a very common medical thing. I won't ask anybody in here if you're doing that at this moment. Not a very wise thing to do. But in, when it comes to eternity, the supermajority do this. Don't, don't make me think about going the end of this. That's why we don't like to go to funerals. Because it forces us to see. Time is short and something is going to happen. There is something at the end and we don't want to think about that. So let's not even have a funeral. Let's just celebrate life. When the fact of the matter is, the path is all downhill and it leads only to one place. Men do not want to consider where this path leads. Just let them live how they want. Eat, drink, and be merry is the path they want to walk without thinking about the inevitable outcome. But face it, my friends, there is 
a place called hell. It is a horrible place, and it has a four-lane paved highway heading right into it. It is the wide path. But the path to heaven is just the opposite. It is a very narrow path, and it is not very well traveled. We sometimes get the wrong impression. If you're anything like me, and many of you in here would be just like me, your life is basically consists of people who are t traveling the narrow road. Most of my family knows the Lord. All of my friends know the Lord, or a super, super majority of them. All the people that I work with and interact with in a day, almost all of them know the Lord. And it's easy to forget the fact that we're all walking on a very narrow road. It's very easy to forget the fact that there is a broad way filled with people. Think of, in just the time we'll be in this service, how many thousands and thousands of people will exit that broad way into that terrible place. We often don't want to think about that ourselves as God's people. We know that our destiny, we know what that is, and we don't want to think about, well, let's just let my life run as it is, and we forget that there is a broad way filled with people who have no idea where they're going and what the path is leading to. We like to kind of let that go. Do not let that go. It is a, an uncommon thing, this narrow way. It is a narrow path. Letter B, the path was made by Jesus Christ. It's a narrow path, and the path was made by Jesus Christ. Our forefather Adam opened up the wide path. He opened up the path of destruction. When he chose to go his own way instead of God's, now you can think that would have been a fairly narrow path that Adam walked down. He was the first one ever walked it. But think about the great throng that has passed by that same path that Adam took originally. No wonder it's so wide. It is a well-traveled, forceful path. You know how these things happen. They get wider. If you've ever seen how a path is created and somebody just walks it, and the next thing a whole bunch more people walk it, and the next thing you know it becomes a road. The next thing you know it's a street. The next thing you know it becomes a four-lane highway. Because more people choose the same path and just wears it out. This is what happened. Adam started the path when he chose to disobey God. And since that time, billions of people have walked that exact same path. And now it is a wide path. In fact, if it weren't for the Lord Jesus, there would be only one path to take. We would be left to our own hoping that the wide path would lead to other than it does. We would be left to hope that our good works or our church membership or our baptism or our religious activity or our charitable efforts or our good intentions would lead someplace else. We would wish that. We would look for a way or wish for a way that we would not end up in this destruction where the wide path always ends up. But that wide path that Adam started cannot lead anywhere than to destruction. 
because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Every good thing that you could ever name that you have ever done is worth a nothing but a filthy rag. The wages of sin is death. It was God the Son who opened up the narrow way. From the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ had been chosen to make a way for men to leave the broad way and find that narrow path to heaven. Now, this plan of God's is both uncomplicated and mind-boggling at the same time. You can understand the basic facts of it in just a few moments, and yet you can study this plan for the rest of your life and still never mind the depths of what was done. But let us give you the basic facts this morning. Man chose to sin. He was no longer fit for heaven. Heaven is a perfect place and no, man no longer meets those requirements. He's no longer perfect because he chose to sin. The moral law of God's universe is this. Sin cannot remain in God's presence. It must be separated from him. That's what for the wages of sin is death means. There is only one place where God isn't, and that is hell or the lake of fire. Therefore, sinners must go there because it's the only place where they can be separated from God. Man himself does not have the wherewithal or the value to make up for his own sin. I was trying to figure out a way to explain this. So this is not a great illustration, but it'll help you maybe. Think about a beggar on the streets. He's walking down the street. He has no money. He has nothing. And he sees a Lamborghini. And instantly he is irritated because someone has enough wealth to buy a Lamborghini. So he picks up a piece of steel off the ground and beats the windshield out of the Lamborghini or smashes the fender with this piece of steel. Now, what can he do when he's captured, caught for his his act, how can he pay for it? Does the fact that he is penniless get him off the hook? It doesn't. The owner has every right to put him to the full extent of the law, for he deliberately, this was no accident, he deliberately bashed in the windshield because of envy. And he is guilty. And even though he has nothing to pay, he is still guilty and must come up with a way to pay. There is consequences for this. Now, this is a small example, but it helps you understand just because you have no way to pay doesn't get you off the hook. Just because all you have are your filthy rags to give does not pay the debt. You violated intentionally God's law. And he has every right to expect full payment of that law. So here man sits with nothing. He chose to sin, and his sin is far beyond his ability to reconcile. He must be separated forever. That's pretty clear and explains the wide path why men are on their way to destruction. But in the plan of God, there was a way to save man from his own actions, there was no obligation on God's part to save 
that save us from our own actions any more than a rich man would be obligated to save some beggar who bashed in his car because of envy. He has no obligation to try to save that man from his own actions. But it was the love of God for man that designed the plan. And the plan is extremely simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The plan of God is this, to send a substitute, someone to die in man's place, to pay the debt that man owed. Now you have to remember, the, think this through, the substitute has to have three qualifications. He has to have three qualifications. One, he has to be perfect. You can't send in a substitute who has his own sin. He's got to pay for those. He can't pay for somebody else if he's got his own, so he's got to be perfect. He also has to be human. The beggar who bashes in the windshield of the Lamborghini cannot send his dog to jail. It doesn't follow. He must pay his own debt. A man must pay for man's sin. It has to be an equivalent, so he has to be human. It's human sin. It's got to be paid for by a human. So our substitute has to be perfect. He has to be human, and he has to be valuable. He has to have enough value within himself to pay the sins, not just one, not just a bunch, but the sins of the whole world. Yes. My friend, that's quite a value. This is why in John 14, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. How could he make such a statement? Because there is no other substitute. There is nobody else who can meet the qualifications. Jesus Christ himself is the only one who could meet such qualifications. He was human. God took on a human body. He was born as a human baby. We celebrate this at Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, him taking on a body. He lived his life on this earth, 33 years, being tested at all points and was without sin. So he's perfect. So he's meet, met two qualifications. He's human. He's perfect. The third qualification, he's got to be valuable. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can you think of any more value than that? When you think about the, the debt of sin of the whole world and how large that would be, the only thing that matches that debt is the value of God himself. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, took your sin upon himself. He was the only one who could do it. If you're looking for another, you're not going to find it. There is no other name where under heaven where must we whereby we must be saved, because none other could be perfect, human, and valuable. This was the plan of God. And Jesus Christ, in your place, took your sin. He died in your place for you. Now, how do we know that this was a done deal? How do we know the plan was successful? This also is very simple. It was your sin, it was my sin that put Jesus Christ in the grave. As long as you have sin that hasn't been paid, he must stay there because it is unpaid for sin. 
But three days after Jesus Christ was crucified, he rose from the dead. What does that tell you? God the Father raised him from the dead. And what that means is the debt has been paid. If it were not paid in full, Jesus Christ would still be in the grave. But he came out of the grave because your sin debt, my sin debt, was paid. It is that simple. We have proof positive that Jesus Christ did, in fact, pay the sin debt of the whole world. It is a narrow path, and the path was made by Jesus Christ. Letter C, the path is open. One might suppose that because it's a narrow path, there is restrictions on who can come. But this simply isn't the case. Jesus Christ paid the sin debt of the whole world. And you know what the sign says over the path? Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. You are invited down the path. The reason the path is so narrow is that very few choose the path. Because the wide path has many attractions to it. Anything goes. There's no rules or restrictions or standards. It affects, it affords luxury of many like-minded travelers. You've got people to travel with. It allows the travelers to feel like they're responsible for their own outcome. In fact, many of the travelers of the wide road believe that because of their own actions, their pathway must lead to heaven. But my friend, it simply isn't so. It's a lie from the devil and a great deception. For the broad way only leads to destruction, the lake of fire. To turn off the wide path and to take the narrow path is a conscious choice on the part of any person. He sees that the road that he's on leads to destruction and that he must come to judgment with no answer for his sin. He sees that the path made by Jesus Christ is his only hope, and he turns off the wide way and takes the narrow path. John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, which was a classic up till recent days, writes of this. The main character, who's eventually his name is called Christian, he's in the city of destruction. He realizes, I'm going to be destroyed. We're all going to be destroyed. We're on the way to destruction here. And he's got this huge burden of sin on his back. And he keeps asking, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this? And he keeps asking, nobody can help him. They just all try to comfort him with this burden. And finally, he runs into a man whose name is Evangelist who says, flee the wrath to come, head that direction. And he points him to the Lord. And Christian heads off, and his family and his friends are trying to pull him back and to keep him from going. So he'd stay with them. And he puts his fingers in his ears and cries, eternal life, eternal life. I cannot stay in the city of destruction. My friend, this is what must happen. It's a conscientious decision. It may go against all your friends. It may go against all your family. It's a conscious decision. I'm on this, narrow, this wide road that's leading to destruction, and I must take the narrow path that is made by Jesus Christ. The path is open today for you. The path is narrow. The path is made by Jesus Christ. The path is open. The path is free. The path is free. Strangely enough, 
This is the great stumbling stone why people don't take the narrow path. Because it's free. Let me see if I can get you into the neighborhood with a very quick illustration. It's a goofy one, but you, most of you know that I like to go garage sailing, flea marketing, that kind of stuff. The one thing that I despise about garage sales is their free box. They have a free box at the end. Now, I have to look in them because twice I found items in the free box I sold for over $100 each. And so I have to look. But I hate to find something in there. If it was on the table for a dollar, a quarter, a nickel, that would be fine. But when it's in the free box, I just can't do that. And I feel obligated to buy something up there if I'm going to take anything out of the free box. Now, you say, that's crazy. It's actually the natural phenomenon. Because if you're holding a garage sale, they say that one thing you have to have to have a successful garage sale is a free box. Why is that work? Giving your stuff away isn't a successful garage sale. No, but when someone takes something out of there, they feel obligated because they want to pay their own way. And so they'll buy something at your garage sale because they took something free out of the box. It's the way that we are made. It's the way that we operate. We are going to pay our own way. And this is why men will not take the narrow road. If the Lord would charge some exorbitant rate or he would charge some peeny little thing of a nickel, they would be happy to take the road. As long as we can say, I did it myself. But because it is free, boy, then, okay, I'm just going to go on the way where I can kind of prove my own worth. But that narrow road is open and it's free, but you have to break and say, I can't make it. If I stay on the road I'm on, I'm going to destruction, and there is no way that I can make heaven on my own. And you must break to walk this narrow road. And most people are not willing to do that. That's why the, the way is broad. They will not knuckle under and say, God was right, I was wrong, and I can't get to heaven on my own. If he would just charge me a little bit, we could have a deal. My friend, God is not selling heaven as a good deal. He gives it as a gift. And if you're going to get it, you're going to get it just that way. You're not going to buy it. You're not going to get a good deal. You're going to get it free by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. fifth point we'll run through very, very quickly here. The path is narrow. The path was made by Jesus Christ. The path is open. The path is free. Number five, the wide path and the narrow path are two separate paths. It is amazing how many Christians forget this very thing. Somehow we treat the narrow path like the HOV lanes. You know what those are? When you get into a big city, they have HOV lanes, high occupancy vehicles. If you have at least two or three people in the car, you get this special lane. They're all going the same place, but you get this special lane. Somehow God's people have got the idea that the narrow path is the HOV lane. We have this special road that we're running with the rest of the world down the same exact, to the same exact destination doing the exact same thing. We just have our own little lane. This is totally, completely contrary to the scriptures. 
And how God's people have gotten to this idea is only a trick of the devil. My friend, mark it down. The narrow path and the wide path are two separate paths. It is totally divergent. And when you made the choice to go the path, you intended to go down a totally different path than the rest of the world. And the two paths do not mix. It is the narrow path. And God's people are supposed to be on it, walking it. It is the narrow path. And we'll talk about this, Lord willing, if this, this is where this is all actually headed, through that direction. I didn't intend to spend this much time on the, the, the narrow path at an inception. But you are on a path this morning. You're either on the wide path or the narrow path. The path is narrow. It was made by Jesus Christ. It's open and it's free. But it is totally divergent from the broad path. Which path are you on this morning? Father.